you've been around church for a while, you may have heard of this guy named Father Abraham. He had many sons. You may have heard that I'm one of them. And so are you. But there was a time when he didn't have many sons. In fact, when he showed up on the story and the story of God, he, he didn't have one son. And the story starts in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to camp out in Genesis chapter 22. We read Hebrews 11 because it's kind of giving you a little picture of that. But in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham uh, to follow him. He says, I'm going to choose to trust me. Leave everything in your comfort zone. Leave your father's household. Leave your, leave your homeland. And I'll, I'll show you where you're going as we go. And he's calling Abraham to the step of faith. And, and God makes some promises. If, you, if you'll trust me, Abraham, if you'll follow me, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. And that, that promise was really, really cool, except for the problem that existed that he didn't have children. He's 75 years old. His wife's 65 years old. They don't have children. They're, they're really kind of past the, the age of that happening. And Abraham has to, has to trust him to fulfill that promise, even though it doesn't look like it's going to happen. It, doesn't look like, it looks like it's too late. He doesn't have children at the time. But Abraham, to his credit, he believes. And he, and he trusts him, and he leaves. He, he packs up everything, and he leaves all of his comfort zone to go to a place. He didn't even know where they're going. He's going to a land that God's going to show them. And this journey begins at, uh, as Abraham is 75 years old. And the, for the next 25 years, that Abraham's just learning to trust God. And he's, he's experiencing things. He's getting settled in his new home and all these different kinds of things. And God is constantly coming back and making the same promise to him. He's promising over and over and over that he's going to do this in Abraham's life. In fact, there's this one moment where God called Abraham and said, hey, come, come step outside the tent. And it was night, and he said, walk outside the tent. I want you, Abraham, look up at the stars. Look at, look at the sky. And this is way from the city lights, and so you can see all the stars. And he said, Abraham, count them for me. And if you've ever gotten outside the city and you got in the, in, out in the dark in the country and you could see the stars, you know that that's an impossible task. Like sometimes in the city you're like, yeah, I, think, I see all five of them. But out there it's like, wow. And Abraham looks at all those stars and it's, it's immediately very, very evident. I can't count those stars. There's no way I can count those stars. And God says, that's how your descendants will be. You, you won't be able to count them. Your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, you won't even be able to count the descendants that I'm giving you. And Abraham's trusting him in this journey, and, and, and he's, he's moving closer, like older and older every single day, and, and it's like, when is this going to happen? And God's continually coming back and reminding him of the promise. Abraham didn't do it right all the time. He, he made some mistakes along the way, he took matters into his own hands, and the, him and Sarah came up with a different plan. I can't have children, so why don't you take Hagar, and like there's a whole different thing that wasn't what God wanted. And God kept coming back, no, no, Abraham, I'm going to give you a child through Sarah. You and Sarah are going to have a child. He's going to be the child of promise. And when he shows up, and Abraham's like almost 100 years old, right about 100 years old, and he makes that same promise, I'm going to make your descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky, Abraham laughed. <laughs> well, how's this going to happen? I'm 100 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. It's too late for us. There's got to be a different plan somewhere. And God continually comes back and says over and over, no, I'm giving you and Sarah a child. I'm going to do it. He says that one time when Abraham's sitting outside the tent and Sarah's in the tent. She can hear the conversation. And God says, I'm giving Sarah a child. And Sarah laughed. And there was this weird conversation, I think it's in Genesis 18, where God says, hey, why is Sarah laughing? Does she think something's too hard for me? Is there something too hard for me to do? 
Why is Sarah laughing? And Sarah's like, oh, I didn't laugh. He's like, oh, yes, you did. I'm God. I kind of heard everything, right? So he, there's this promise that God keeps bringing up, keeps reminding them. And after that meeting, about nine months later, Sarah has a boy. God said, name him Isaac. The, word, the name Isaac means laughter. <laughs> it's like God was saying, who's laughing now? <laughs> and the promised child has come. There's so many promises are resting in this boy's life, him being born. I mean, everything's resting in him. All the promises are fulfilled in him that God made to Abraham, that that was going to happen through Isaac, very, very specifically through Isaac. You could say that Isaac's a pretty big deal. He's kind of a big deal that this is the child that Abraham has been promised by God to have for all these years. He waited 25 years just waiting and trusting and, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to wait for you. And, and then finally, after 25 years, when Abraham's 100 and Sarah's 90, they have this child. And so you know this child, like all these promises are resting on him. You know how big of a deal this is. And so that's why it's so shocking in Genesis chapter 22 when God says, I gave you that child after all your waiting. I gave him to you. Now I want him back. I, I want you to give him back. And I, I'm not talking about like let him just go in the ministry or something. I'm talking about I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Make him a burnt offering, which means kill him, burn him up, sacrifice him to God. And that, that, that should shock us because we know God's made all these promises over and over. I'm going to more descendants than the stars in the sky. Why would he have him kill him? What in the world is God doing? But God tells Abraham to, t to do that, and then he does it. He, he gets up, and the Bible says that Abraham gets up very early the next morning to head out on this journey to Mount Moriah, which means that Abraham might have been just so full of faith in that moment that he's like, well, let's get up and go very early in the morning. Let's go. It may just be a picture of his faith, or it may be a picture of the fact that he didn't sleep that night. Can you imagine? You've been waiting for this child for all these years, 25 years, and you finally have him in your old age when it was obviously a miracle of God, and he says, go kill him. I don't think Abraham was sleeping. I think he got up early in the morning because he's like, well, I'm not sleeping anyway. Let's just go. And he goes and makes this three-day journey to Mount Moriah. He's got a couple of his servants there, his workers there with him. And he gets to the base of the mountain. He says, hey, you guys stay here. My son and I are going to go up to the top of this mountain. We're going to make our sacrifice and we're going to worship our God. And then we're going to come back to you. And then we'll go home. That's an interesting statement. We're going to go up. And then we're going to come back, knowing what he's supposed to be doing up there. They, they, then they make the journey up the mountain. Abraham lays all the wood on Isaac. Isaac's old enough to carry the wood. He's grown up a little bit at this time. He's carrying the wood. And Isaac can see what's going on, and he realizes, Dad, Dad forgot something again. Dad, I got the wood. You got the fire. You got the knife. Where's the lamb? Shouldn't there be a lamb that we're going to sacrifice for the altar on the altar? Like the sacrifice requires an animal, it requires a lamb. And Abraham looks back at his son and says, God will provide the lamb. And he gets to the top of the mountain. And Abraham takes the wood and he makes an altar. He makes, makes a place to burn the sacrifice. And then he takes his son and he wraps him up. He binds him up and he lays him on top of the altar. And then he takes a knife out. 
And he's about to do exactly what God has told him to do. He's about to sacrifice his son. He's about to kill his son on the top of the mountain as a sacrifice of obedience to God. And in that moment, the angel of the Lord says, stop. Nope. I don't, I don't want you to kill him. I want him to live. Abraham, now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you trust me because you are willing to give up your son, your only son, the son that you love. You are willing to do that for me. <laughs> it's an amazing story. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to think about it. There's so many stories. That's why I like this series we're doing, these greatest stories ever told. This is one of the greatest stories. It's a story that you might be familiar with, but you look at the story and you're like, why? What is God doing here? Why would he, why would he do this? Why, why would he tell Abraham that? After making all these promises about the son, why would, why would he then tell him to go kill him? Why would he test Abraham this way? What, what is God doing? And these Old Testament stories, as great as they are, I think, it's, I think it's helpful for us to back up a little bit and go, okay, here's what we do with the stories in the Bible. Is we say, what does this teach us about God? And then how do we respond to that? Which is not just the Old Testament stories, but it's all the Bible. It's first and foremost revealing God to us. It's teaching us who he is, what he's done, his character, all, all of his amazing qualities. It's teaching us something about God. And then through Abraham and what he's doing here, we see how we can respond to him. Sometimes we have a good example. Sometimes we have an example of what not to do. But the, we see who God is, what he's doing, what he's done, and then we respond to that. First, kind of on the surface, that's what the Old Testament stories are trying to show us. And so as we walk back through the story in Genesis chapter 22, I think that's the question we ask. What, is, what does this teach us about God? And then how do we respond to it? How does this inform how we live our lives? Why would God do this the way that he does this? And so let me just make a few observations for us that maybe will help us with this. And the first one is this. God tests us so we will learn to trust him. God tests us, his children, his people, so that we will learn to trust him. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, makes it really, really clear. Abraham doesn't know this, but the writer Moses tells us this, so we'll know going into the story what God's doing. After these things, verse 1, God tested Abraham and said to him, God tests his people. God gives us tests so that we will learn to trust him. That's, that's why tests are given. You, if you're a student and you get tested in school, it, I know it sounds like torture most of the time. Like, why do we have to have another test? But the test is a part of the learning process. A test is there to gauge how much you've learned. Did you learn the material or do you need to circle back and learn some more of it? Like it's, it's a measurement tool, but it's also a part of the learning process. When I have a test coming up, I pay better attention in class. Or at least I should. When I have a test coming up, I'm going to study. I need to set aside some time to study so that I learn the stuff that's going to be on the test. And so the testing process is a part of how I'm learning. And God gives us tests in our life. He gives us trials sometimes because he's helping us to learn that we can trust him. Over and over and over, when you go through a test and you find God's provision, you find God meeting you at that point of need, you learn, I can trust him. It's strengthening our faith. It's increasing our faith. It's in increasing our ability to trust in him. And he gives us these tests from time to time. James chapter 1 says it this way. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, perseverance. And 
steadfastness, you should let it have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we're tested and we go through a test, it allows us and helps us to be a steadfast person, a person who perseveres things. The only way that we'll learn how to persevere and to be steady through a trial is to go through a trial. There's no, there's no cheat code on this. There's no cliff notes of this. You go through the trial, and then you learn, oh, God was with me in that, and it increases your faith. That's what he's doing. That's why James says count it all joy. It doesn't make sense if there's not some bigger picture there. It doesn't make sense to go, oh, another trial? Great, awesome. Praise God. It only makes sense when you understand that no, God uses these tests in our lives. He uses these trials to make us stronger, to increase our faith, to grow us. But even that doesn't, doesn't really answer all the questions. But why this test? Why, why the son of promise? Why would, you, why would God test him to see if he's willing to kill his son with all these promises? It doesn't make sense. And Alan Ross, in his book, Creation and Blessing, which is a great, great study of Genesis, says it this way. God tests the faithfulness of believers by asking them to surrender to him the best that they have. God tests us by asking us to surrender what's best, what's near and dear to our heart. Even things that he gave us, would we be willing to surrender it? It's so easy to just enjoy the gift and forget about the giver. And God tests us and asks us to give up things and asks us to sacrifice things and asks us to surrender things that are very near something we care about greatly because that's a part of his plan to help us learn that we can trust him with everything. That's his goal for us. Is that he wants us to trust him with everything. So it's not just the leftovers that he's asking for. It's not just things that aren't significant. He asks us to surrender the things that we care the most about so he can show us and we can learn. We can trust him with those things too. We can trust him with everything. Whatever he asks. We, we just sing it. Whatever you ask, whatever, wherever you lead me, I will follow you anywhere. It's that that's where he wants us. That's where he wants us to get, is that we know that we can trust him with the things that we care about the absolute most. You see in the Bible that God asks his people to give them the first fruits. Their sacrifices, like you grow a crop and you take the first fruits, not the leftovers, not the stuff you didn't want, but the first fruits, the best of that, and you make that as a grain offering or a sacrifice to God. That God asks us all the time to give him our best and give him what's first. Who's trusting God more? The person who gives money in the offering plate every month after he's paid everything else first and he says, oh, I got this left over, I can make this offering to God? Or the person who gets paid and takes the first part of it out and says, this is what I've decided between me and God. I prayed about this. We're going to give this. We're going to contribute to God's work. And we give first that and then we figure out how to pay for everything else after that. Who's, who's trusting God more in that? When God asks us to give us the best, Give him the best. When he asks us to surrender, to sacrifice what's near and dear to us, it's helping our faith to grow exponentially. It's helping us to increase in faith, helping us to see over and over again we can trust him. And he calls Abraham to, to kill his son. And he's not doing that for us. That's a very specific thing for Abraham. But he does ask us to surrender our children to him. He does ask us as parents to surrender our kids their, the plans that we have for them, their well-being, their future, over to the God that we can trust with everything. And that's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard as a parent to say, yeah, I'm just going to surrender this whole thing. God's plan's going to be better because I know that my plan's pretty good. 
I feel like it's really good if I can just control these kids and they can do what I'm saying they, they should do. Like, they'll, they'll be on the right course. They'll be on the, the, exactly what. It's the, one of the greatest illusions in, uh, in our world today is that parents think that we are in control of our kids. <laughs> whew, we are smoking something, right? Like, we're not in control. But we feel like that. And so it's hard for us to surrender. God, I bet your plans are better for my kids than mine. I bet you love my kids more than I do. And to surrender. Like, most of the time, we, we finally come to the place where we'll surrender when something's gone wrong. As long as the kids are doing what we, supposed to, we expect them to do and what we want them to do, hey, I'm fine. I got, I got this. I'm in control of this. But when one of them takes a detour, one of them runs the wrong path, one of them becomes a prodigal, something goes wrong, and they, they, they embarrass us or they bring us shame or anything like that, something goes wrong, it's then that we're ready to surrender, right? Oh, okay, God, you can have them. I don't want them. God say, no, I want, I want what's near and dear to you, and I want you to know that you can trust me. You can trust me with the things that are most valuable to you, the things that I gave you, the things that you know that you're supposed to have. You can trust me with that. You can surrender that way to me. And when we trust him, like, wait, God tests us, and he asks us to surrender these things to us, here's what we're doing. We're learning that we can trust him, and that's part of his goal for us. That's part of his plan for us. And that's, that's one really helpful lesson I think you see in that. But I, th- I think if you go further, it really becomes more helpful. I mean, it's just on the surface, like, okay, I know I can trust him. And I know he probably wants me to surrender good things to him. That's one of the things I want you to discuss in your community groups is what are the things that God has asked you to surrender and how that turn out. But I think we need to go a little bit further and make some more observations because the second one I think really begins to put some meat on the bone here. God always keeps his promises so we have reason to trust him. God always keeps his promises, and that gives us a reason to trust him. Guys, that's the only way this story makes sense to me. When I see Abraham obeying God and being willing to sacrifice the son of promise, like it only makes sense if I understand that Abraham believed that God keeps his promises. Abraham knew that God was a God who always keeps his promises, That's why everything in the story kind of points to that. That's why Abraham says, hey, guys, you wait here. My son and I will go up to the top of the mountain, and then we're going to come back after we worship God. He and I are going to come back together. Why? Because Abraham knows that God has promised to bring all these descendants through this boy. And so it doesn't make sense that God would want him dead. That's why when Isaac says, Dad, where's the lamb? We're missing a very important element to the sacrifice here. And Abraham says, God's going to provide a lamb. Why? Because he's trusting in God's promises. When nothing makes sense for us, when everything's spinning out of control, when everything is falling apart, and it does that way too often, right? But when all things are seeming like I've lost control, this is not what I wanted, this is not the direction I was hoping this was going to head, you have to grab a hold of the fact that God keeps his promises. And that's the only reason why I think Abraham's willing to do this. That's why I wanted us to read Hebrews 11. Angela read Hebrews 11. Look back at it, verse 17. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And this next verse is crazy. 
Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham is in this place, I don't understand why God's want me to do this. I don't understand why God would lead me to do this. I don't understand any of this plan at all, but I know that God has promised something through Isaac. And I know that God keeps his promises. So much so that Abraham believes that if I kill him, God's going to bring him back to life and give him back to me because God keeps his promises. And sometimes that's the only hope we have. And it's, it's enough. But sometimes that's all we have when everything's falling apart and we don't understand any of it. And we didn't sign up for any of it and we would never choose any of it. We have promise after promise after promise from God, and he always keeps his promise. And not one time has he ever stopped, has he ever failed to keep a promise. And for those of us living in the New Testament, we see that he says in Romans 8, 28, that God works all things for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not some of the things, not most of the things, all of them. That in everything we go through, even when we don't make any sense of it, when it doesn't compute. He's working something good out of everything. He promised it. And so we can trust him and move forward and follow him in the darkest points of our life because we know God always keeps his promises. And he made countless promises to us as his children, and he keeps them every single time. God always keeps his promises so we have reason to trust him. And then he provides God provides for us so we see that we can trust him. This is not just talk. This is not just words. There's a provision that happens when Abraham gets to that point and he's ready to make the sacrifice and God stops him. He turns and there's a ram caught in the thicket. The sacrifice, the substitute is ready to be like, go grab the ram, get your son off the altar, he's going to live, and you sacrifice the ram as the burnt offering instead of your son. And God provides on that mountain in the way that God provides. And I think one of the ways that you can say this is that God provides in the right place at the right time in the right way. If Abraham's not on the top of that mountain, if he's not making that preparation for that sacrifice to carry out the order to carry out the instruction to sacrifice his son then he misses the provision of the ram in the thicket and sometimes we get mixed up with this we think that well God provides for me and God's made all these promises to me and so I can do whatever I want we wander way far away from God and we get way out of bounds we get so far away from what he's really doing what he's calling us to do and yet we somehow think but yeah God promised he would provide for me no no God provides for his people when they trust him God provides for us, his children, when we're following him. We step out of bounds, and you meant the provision has left the building. God provides for us when we're following and trusting, when we're in the right place. And he, pro- he provided for Abraham at the right time. It wasn't before they got to the mountain. It wasn't as they were walking up the mountain. It was when Isaac was on the altar and the knife was raised. That's when God said, I got a better plan. Now I know you can trust me. Now I know you fear me. And so I'm going to provide a ram over here. It was at the perfect right time. Not at the time that you and I want it to be most of the time. Not at the time that we would choose. We get so upset because God's timing is not ours. And we just have to trust. We have to remember, hey, God provides at the right time. And he provides in the right way. (laughs) 
It wasn't an angel coming down from heaven holding a lamb. It wasn't a miraculous, it was, hey, there's a ram just got caught up over in the bushes over there. Stupid ram. Can't get out of a bush. God just provides for us all the time in ways that we can see, in ways that we can experience, because that's what he does. And it's really, really easy for you and for me to ignore God's constant provision in our life. He gave you a job and allowed you to work at that job, and that's part of the way he provides for your needs. That's part of the way he cares for you. He gave you the ability to work, and he gave you a job. All the different ways that God provides for us all the time that we kind of discount or discredit, we think that somehow we did that, the interview, we got, it, we got the interview we needed, we got into the college we were wanting to get, we got this plan, we got this thing, we got this, this house on the market, like all these different things, and it's all the signs, it's all the pictures behind the scenes of God working to provide for us and really clear, easy to see, easy to experience ways that, man, it's so easy to ignore. But God provides for us. He doesn't just say trust him and hope it works out. He says trust him and watch how I provide. You'll see it. it it'll be maybe too obvious sometimes and you'll miss it because it's so obvious, but God provides for his people. He does it over and over and over again. The right place, right time, in the right way. And God blesses us so we can bring him glory as we trust in him. God blesses us in the midst of the trial and the tests. He carries us through it. He gets us to the other side so that we can then point everybody to God. We can bring glory to him. At the end of this story, verse 17 of 22 God reiterates his promise of blessing to Abraham. I will surely bless you, verse 17. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. He's just making that promise. Hey, you trust me, Abraham. You were willing to follow me no matter what, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out blessing on you. And he passed this test, and God says, hey, point the world to my greatness. This whole plan started with God saying, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going to make your name great, and then through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless all the other nations. And so God blesses his people by allowing us to go through a trial by sustaining us in the middle of a trial, by increasing our faith in the trial, so that we can show the world how great God is. We can point to the greatness and glory of Jesus. Think about it. The unbelieving world, I think what they need to see from us is a group of people who go through tests and go through trials and acknowledge that life is difficult and there are challenges in front of us all the time and we stay true to God and we stay faithful because of his power working through us, him holding our hand through it, and we come out on the other side and we, we've survived and we've persevered through the trial because of what Jesus did in our lives, and the world sees that and they take notice of that. They need to see that from us. They need to see that we're, we're, we're able to, because of God, go through t- hard times, really, really strategically difficult tests from God. And we come out on the other side and we can give glory to him. They need to see that more than they need to see a bunch of people that act like everything's perfect, nothing's wrong. No one believes that anyway, so let's stop acting like that. It's not perfect. It's not problem-free. That's not the life that Jesus promised us. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Oh, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I'm in charge of all that. I've, I've got the victory secured. And 
The world needs to see us go through those trials and point back to God rather than us acting like, oh, yeah, things are perfect with God. Like, no problems at all. I, I, I have friends in this room that have showed me in the last few years a better picture of what faith looks like because of the, how they've persevered through a trial than I ever would have seen if they, everything was perfect in their life. And you got friends just like that that have gone through a trial, gone through an unbelievable test, and they've come out and their faith is stronger on the other side because God has sustained them in it. And the world needs to see that picture from us more than us hiding all the stuff that's going on. Man, this story teaches us so much about God. It shows us all these different things about how God's testing us and how he keeps his promises and how he provides for us and how he blesses us so that we can respond to that with with trust and with faith and keep going. No matter what it costs, no matter what he's asking, no matter what sacrifice I need to make, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to surrender everything. I can trust him. And our faith just continues to increase. And Abraham provides a pretty good example for what that looks like, doesn't he? His faith is remarkable. That's why he's the father of our faith. That's why... uh, We are grafted in because of our faith in Jesus. We're part of his family because he was a man of faith. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so Abraham's story is amazing. But don't miss this. It wasn't always perfect. Abraham messed up a few times. There were some tests leading up to this one that he failed miserably. The whole thing with Hagar and Ishmael that lying about who his wife really was. Like he failed some of the tests along the way because God was testing him and continually testing him and not giving up on him so he could increase his faith, increase his trust so that when the big test came, he would pass. So if you failed some tests, you're in good company. There's always grace and there's always freedom to come back to God when we've walked away from him and we failed and we stopped trusting him. Abraham's not a picture of perfect faith. He's a picture of faith that's growing as he's experiencing God's provision in his life and is experiencing God's promises in his life, and it's growing and growing and growing, just like our faith. So it's okay if we fail, we fall down, we get back up, and we trust God, and we move forward. So you can see a lot of that in the story, but that is on the surface what you see in these stories. Here's what it teaches us about God, and here's how we respond, but it's even bigger than that. Because these stories in the Old Testament are really just whispers and shadows of the greatest story. These are really great stories, but there's a greater story that this story's pointing to. It's a story of a God who was willing to not just go through the motions of preparing his son for a sacrifice, but to give his son as a sacrifice once for all of us. This story is like all these Old Testament stories just whispering about Jesus coming, just a shadow, Abraham's a shadow of what Jesus is going to do. <laughs> Maybe that's not even the way to say it with this story because it doesn't feel like a whisper with this one, does it? It doesn't feel like just a shadow. It feels like a shout or a spotlight. Look at this. Doesn't this remind you of Jesus? And it's supposed to. It's supposed to point us to the greatest story. It's supposed to point us to what Jesus is going to do, that he's going to come and he's going to lay his life down for us. He's going to take our place. He's he's the son to be sacrificed. He's the ram caught in the thicket that becomes the substitute. Like he's all of it. He's the perfect fulfillment of this story. And he lays down his life. He takes the punishment for sin that you and I should have had to take. He pays the penalty for sin that you and I should have had to pay. He does that all to rescue us because that was our only only hope. And this is the story of Abraham's pointing us to where our hope was really found. 
It's not an, an example. It's in Jesus. It's in what he's accomplished for us that, that reminds us over and over and over again when we hear the gospel, when we sing the gospel, <laughs> we can trust him. That's why Paul does this in Romans chapter 8. He takes language, it seems like he takes language from the story in Genesis chapter 22, and he points it to Jesus. What then shall we say to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? Now look at this. He, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with his son, graciously give us all things? That's what the story's pointing us to. A God who did not spare his son, but gave his son up for us to rescue us because that was our only hope. He takes our place, dies in our place on the cross. And because of that story, when you understand that story, when you get the gospel, then you know he's going to give me everything I need. He will get me through whatever is next. Why? Because he gave me everything. He gave me his son. If he wouldn't withhold his son, if he wouldn't spare his own son, if he would give his son up for me, I know I can trust him. I know I can move forward. I know he will come through on all of his promises and he will provide everything I need. That's what he wants us to do. That's what he's calling us to do. He wants us, our faith to increase from hearing this, from living this out, from experiencing this, and from looking to Jesus who made the ultimate sacrifice for us. Let's be the people that trust him that way, that move forward as we trust him, no matter how much we don't understand because of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for this story and how great it is, but how it points us to the greatest story, the story of Jesus. And God, that as we acknowledge that our only hope is found in Jesus, that there was no other hope for us, there's no chance for us other than Jesus dying in our place, that you, God, gave up your son for us to rescue us. God, help us to respond to that. Help us to respond to that truth by trusting you no matter what we're going through, no matter what's next, no matter, no matter how much we don't understand. Help us to respond with faith. God, we believe, and we also need to ask that you would help us with our unbelief. And God, I'm so thankful that you meet us wherever we are to bring us closer, to increase our faith, to help us see that we can trust you. And thank you for how you do that. And thank you for Jesus, who is our only hope. It's in his name we pray and for his glory. Amen.